If you're looking for a cool hunting and fishing book series for a young reader, we found it. It's the award-winning book series called Lucky Luke's Hunting Adventures by author Kevin Lovegreen. These books are based on true adventures and are sure to captivate even the most reluctant readers. I mean, what outdoor-loving kid doesn't want to read about hunting and fishing? And they are AR-rated so your kids will get credit for them at school. These books are perfect for kids in kindergarten to sixth grade. You can check them out at kevinlovegreen.com. Trust me, your kids will thank you. On a personal note, we have this series and we absolutely love them. My boys Ransom and Valor eat these books up and I think your kids will love them too. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. And so when we get into 2 Timothy 4, back to the original passage we were talking about, in-season and out-of-season ministry, I'm going to do big overviews here, so just for the sake of time. But in Jeremiah 22 through 33, 23 through 33, we see the authority of the power of the word. Okay, session four's title is The Manly Resolve in Season and Out of Season, Jeremiah and Nehemiah. In verse 23 of Jeremiah 23, we get like a favorite passage for people about the word of God is like a fire and it breaks the rock to pieces like a hammer. You know, it's this really... It's like the Word of God is authoritative and it does its work. You lay down the gavel, you preach the Word and watch God do the work. Martin Luther said, we slept, we preached, and we drank, and God turned the world upside down. The Reformation, they drank, slept, and preached, and God did the work. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Jeremiah prophesied this. He prophesied this in season an out-of-season ministry, then, in the life of Jeremiah is going to require resolve. And the man who said that the Word of God is like a fire and like a hammer, and then God goes on to say that he hates the false prophets, and he calls out all the false prophets, or preaching peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says all this stuff, and, and then Jeremiah is the one who experiences out-of-season ministry his entire life. I remember the word of God is like a fire. And then he's like, I'm going to declare all of God's word to all of God's people. And nobody listens to him ever. It's very bizarre. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 42 through 44 is a really tremendous case study. And I'm going to do a big picture, again, overview of these chapters to get us to the point. Okay, so Jeremiah 42, the people of God tell us, Say to us all that God says, we will obey no matter what. Here's what it says, 42, 5 and 6. Then they said, Jeremiah, may the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom you are sending, whom we are sending you, that you may be well and with us, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. They explicitly tell Jeremiah, We're going to obey. You tell us all that God has you to say. Okay? Then, it's like, okay, God says, Jeremiah says, don't go to Egypt. Uh, You're going to die if you do that, but if you stay here, things will go well with you. I'll bless your land. I'll bless you. You stay here and trust me. And Jeremiah ends his prophecy after saying, stay here and God will bless you. Um, In verse 21, he knows they're already going to disobey, and he speaks to them and says, but you are a disobedient people. 
You're not going to obey. You're not going to hear. And then in chapter 44, as he keeps prophesying to them to not go to Egypt, they take Jeremiah and Barak to Egypt by force. But listen to what they say to them, to Jeremiah in chapter 44, verse 15 and 19. Listen to this. 15 through 19. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods, and by all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of, of Egypt, answered to Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Remember, well, wait a minute. I thought the word was a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock. He gives it to him after they say, We're going to obey, we're going to obey, whatever you say. You tell us. I mean, just give us the unbridled, uncompromised word, Jeremiah, and we'll do it. Okay, don't go to Egypt. But we, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out our drink offerings to her, as we did both to our father, we and our fathers, our kings and officials in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered, saw no disaster, But since we left making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, we, when we made offerings and poured out drink offerings to her, it was without our husband's approval that we made those, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing and her image and poured out drink offerings to her? So they said, no, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes you're faithful to the word and you end up in a pit. And that's what we have to be willing to walk into. We have to be willing to unapologetically preach the word, knowing that there's going to be people that we're told, instead, right after chapter 4, 1 Second Timothy chapter 4, we're told that people accumulate for themselves. That's the congregational responsibility to get their preachers. The congregational thought that they're going to get, accumulate for themselves. Those who will preach and they'll have itching ears and they're just going to give us what we want. Give us what we want. And you may call, be called to go into a congregation like that and you may start standing like, grow a backbone and stand like Jeremiah and say, I'm going to preach whatever God says. And they're like, yeah, 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 do it. And you start doing it and they're like, uh, I don't like that. That's a real possibility. And I've got to tell you that you might, 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 you might have a Jeremiah ministry. You just might. But he continued to preach the word and he complained. I mean, he's the the weeping prophet. It's hard for him. I mean, he has hands in his head and tears on the ground below him because ministry was very hard. It was hard to stay faithful. It was hard to preach God's word knowing it's not going to be received well. But he kept doing it. Now, by today's standards, Jeremiah would be looked at as a historic failure. Look how few. He couldn't couldn't preach to the people in the way they could understand. It was just his poor preaching. If he would have said it better, they would have been able to understand and they would have followed him. It was just really, he just didn't do it in an appropriate way. He just really is not a good, he's just not a good preacher. He just didn't really know how to get the crowds in. He didn't really know how to get the masses. You know, if, if he would have just done a few things, he could have got more people to listen to him. I mean, you can see all the experts coming to him and the, you know, all the, with all the strategies and, and the conferences to, to be able to fix Jeremiah. And like, let me tell you how you can make this go better for you, Jeremiah. You can just hear it. You can see it. You can probably tell them what they would say to him. Tell us what they would say to him. Jeremiah. Now, here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to have martyr complex 
about pastoral ministry, and I also don't want us to be morbid about what's in the future for us. We should be willing, willing to walk out Jeremiah ministry, okay? But mainly resolve also with, with hope. I mean, we should be hopeful that we get to walk out Nehemiah ministry. That's what I want. I don't want to walk in Jeremiah ministry the rest of my life. I'm willing to do it, whatever God has called me to do. But you know what I want? I want to see revival. I want to see what Nehemiah and Ezra got to see. And Nehemiah and Ezra got to see something different. Through their faithfulness, through them seeing the Word of God, discovering the Word of God as God brings people out of exile, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. They got unbelievable provision. We see that the king's heart is truly in the hand of the Lord, and he's turning whichever way he wills. And he said, Cyrus, it's time. Send them out. They got the, they got the favor of the kings of Babylon to send them out to go home to rebuild the city. Now talk about a favorable moment. When they're searching out, Nehemiah is searching out the time. Hey, wait a minute. It's about the time. I think I remember my grandfather's and my, my father's talking about we're going to be here about 70 years somewhere, give or take a few, and then we're going to be sent out of here. He discovers that, and then they immediately begin to pray. After they remember that and discover that, they immediately begin to pray and say, okay, God, since it's about the time for this to happen, we're going to start earnestly praying for you to do it. And then God gives favor with the king. And imagine what that phone call was like. Hey, Nehemiah. Uh, you have approval. Get out of here. Bring your people. Go back and rebuild your city. And there was no phone calls, so he got as a cupbearer the presence of the king, and the king gave him approval. And like this is unbelievable favor. This is unbelievable. Like this is more than a job promotion. It's more than whatever tremendous. Ble- I mean, this is like, oh my goodness, my people get to go back. My grandfather's told me about this. I've heard about Jerusalem. Let's go back. And so they go back, and Nehemiah and Ezra go back, and they begin to rebuild this temple. And the Sanballat, you know, Sanballat comes against them and begins to cry out to this new king and says, hey, do you realize what they're doing here? They're going to come, and they're, now they're going to squash you. And then Nehemiah, had, they have to build with sword and, tra- and a trowel, a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other hand as they're rebuilding the wall. The, the work stops for a minute, and then they get favor again, and they get to continue to go on and build the city walls and rebuild the city. And then upon rebuilding the temple, they discover, oh my goodness, the law of God. And then Ezra stands up and he gets to stand up and begin to preach the word of God. And you know what everybody does? It's totally different than with Jeremiah. I mean, they are weeping. I mean, they are so thankful. We have longed to hear from God. And now we get to hear from him. And they, they I mean, they are on the edge of their seat. They want to hear every, like, come gather around. Ezra's here. Everybody who had attention to hear. Everybody who had the ability to understand was there. Everybody who had, had the under, uh, ability to understand was there. There has to be some sort of ability to understand, right, Mason? For the, <laughs> I know we would agree on that, but a uh, little Presbyterian gig again, which I hope happens the rest of our lives, and I'm sure you're still praying until I join you. Um, but they're on the edge of their seat. They're like, I can't get enough of this. Ezra's here. And imagine with the re- rebuilt walls and, and discovering of the law of God standing and just everybody attentive. And you're just preaching and everybody's out there just like, oh my gosh, they're weeping. There's so much joy. And friends, that's in season and out of, out of, out of season ministry that Paul writes about is demonstrated all through the life of the people of God. And here we are caught up in the midst of a huge story, a story that began at the, before the foundation of the world that's going out throughout all of history. And here we are. And here's the thing. I do not, there will be pressures for you. If you're out of season, if you're out of season, you will be pressured to manufacture in season. And it's going to require manly resolve. Because in the business world, especially you have board members and elders and deacons and all this that are in the business world, not growing is not acceptable. 
It's just not acceptable. In a business, you have to keep growing. And in church, when those same principles are applied, you have to keep growing. You have to keep going. And I think Kevin Nizel has done a great job with Nam. But I remember he was sitting up on a, 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 a board one time and they asked him, you know, well, what happens if these church planners aren't, aren't receiving baptism? He said, well, we'll get rid of them and get some that can get them. Get some men that can go and get baptisms. It's like, wait a second. Like, thanks for all the great stuff you're doing, Kevin, but that's not how this thing works. It's just not how this thing works. You can have a really, really sharp guy come out and you can get some manufactured baptisms, but the true work of God is dependent upon God. And you may be faithful in the season and God does this. He works differently in different areas, like in different pockets, okay? And you probably aren't going to get, you're probably not going to see massive results in your ministry. You're probably not. I mean, it's just statistically, you're probably not. We should long for it and want it. But if your expectations are unlimited growth and unlimited revival for the rest of your ministry, you're going to be so exhausted and it's going to, I mean, again, it's going to be crushing. So I want to challenge you with manly resolve in season and out. Really, I want to promote insanity to you. Because you know this, I said this to our church on Sunday, or sometime recently, insanity, they say, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and that's the call of pastoral ministry. is to find the groove of biblical faithfulness, what God has called you to be and do, and keep doing that the rest of your life. Asking God to help you to do it the rest of your life. God, help me to be better and better at this. Give me grace to get growing. Give me passion to never forget the grace of God and never get over the grace of God. God, keep, help me. Put people in my life that are going to help me. But I'm going to keep doing what you have prescribed me to do in the Scriptures. And I'm going to keep trying to be the man you've called me to be. And then I'm going to insanely, quote, unquote, insanely walk toward that the rest of my life. And if I get Jeremiah ministry, praise God, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do better than Jeremiah and not just weep all the way through it, praise you all the way through it. And then I'm going to keep praying for Nehemiah ministry. And I'm praying that I get to be Ezra standing up and just seeing tears flow and people wanting to get baptized, people repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ. And church is growing and church is planted and missionaries getting sent overseas. I'm going to keep praying for that. I want that. I want Nehemiah ministry. I want Ezra ministry. But for us to stay faithful and not sell out to the modern whatever, the next book, the next big thing, the next training seminar, the next whatever it is that ensures better results. And if you'll do this, you'll be better equipped and better prepared. There's so many things that you need to do to be better equipped and better prepared, by the way. Hear what I'm saying and hear, 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 what, I'm, hear what I'm not saying. Um, but if you're going to endure for the long haul, it's going to require manly resolve. Knowing who you are, you are God's son. You're a man of God. And you're going to walk in insanity the rest of your life. Be who God's called you to be and do what God has called you to do by the grace of God in your home and in the church the rest of your life and in the world. And whether you get Jeremiah ministry or Ezra and Nehemiah ministry, you'll be able to lay your head on the pillow at night and say, God, thank you. Thank you. You're good. And I'm so thankful for what you've called me to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I pray that this would be so encouraging for these guys. Thank you that we were able to do all these sessions. And, and Lord, I just ask that this would go with them. I pray for this discussion before we leave. I pray that you would bring things to remembrance that I'd said or that we'd read in your word and that we would have some good conversation before we go. We'll come to you again here in a little bit just to thank you for all that we've done and all that we've been able to hear. But God, just lead this time. I trust you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. 
You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.